Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Very quickly before I begin this morning, I want to recognize a special group of people. If you... <laughs> Some funny things came to mind. I just want to say like this. If you were at D-Now this weekend, stand up. Stand up. I wanted to talk about if you got less than four hours of sleep this weekend or heard some great pre... <laughs> Students and leaders. Let's first of all thank these leaders for what they did. Host homes, teaching Bible studies. Thank you, guys. You guys can be seated. They started Friday afternoon, went all day, or Friday evening, all day yesterday. Had a blast, learned about the Lord. Had, Jason, how many do we have? 70 plus kids that went? Something like wherever you are. 60 plus kids that went. Amazing. So thank you guys for all the work you did. A couple of quick things, and then I'm going to begin. D6 conference, our family conference, end of January. You need to sign up. People are signing up online. People from outside our church are signing up online because they want to hear Ted Tripp. If you want to go, you need to get your spot. I'm worried about space. Okay, sign up online, rosemontchurch.org. There's a form you can fill out. We're doing free child care, a dinner. You get to go to dinner with your kids here on Friday night for free. We'll cover the kids. We'll cover the child care costs. We'll even feed them dinner. Yeah, this is the point where you say, wow. <laughs> then you hear Ted Tripp Friday night, Saturday morning, same thing. Okay, so please sign up for that. Be a part of that. Uh, continue to pray for our South Asia team. They are somewhere in the world right now. I don't know where. They're en route. It gets real confusing with days and time changes. And they should fly home, though, tomorrow morning. Please be in prayer for them. They've accomplished great things. Just a very quick word. I'm going to talk more about this in the next few weeks. They did 4,000 kites. There's a kite day there. It's a big deal where everybody in the city and really all over the country fly kites. It's part of their festival. So they fly kites everywhere. The game is you try to saw other people's kites down with the strength. And the kite flutters down into the, somewhere in the city. They took 4,000 kites and wrote the gospel in their language. Gave those kites out. So 4,000 kites at some point on that day got cut, fluttered into the city. And their exact words were when a kite would hit the ground, 50 people will run to grab it. That was part of the game. They, they take it, they read it, they fly it again. The whole process starts again. Four, th- your church, okay, this body funded that. We sent teams to do that. So while you were sleeping last week, the gospel was being presented in the darkest place on earth, and I'm not exaggerating that. The heart of darkness. You keep praying, the Lord's doing great things. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you've done, for what you're going to do. Thank you for this series. Father, I pray that we could understand it. Father, I pray that we could apply it. I pray that we would be changed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. May you receive all honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We need to jump right in this morning. We started our study last week in the book of Genesis, and we're calling it In the Beginning. And so we studied last week Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we learned from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that God is foundational to everything, right? Regardless of what the world may say, regardless of who may argue with that, regardless of all the questions that are surrounding this portion of the Word of God out there in the world, God is foundational, The Bible very clearly teaches He's the creator of the universe. 
He's the creator of this planet. He's the giver of life. He's the author of salvation. And all of history and all of creation came about simply because of God's will. Right? He's foundational. Good answer. Now this morning we're going to continue our study. Now I promised you last week we were going to speed up and we are. <laughs> last week we studied two verses. Today we're going to study three verses. Okay, so we're ramping this thing up re- relatively quickly here. So buckle in. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. I think we have it on the screens. And God said, now this is interesting. We don't have time to get into it this morning. But this is the first instance in Scripture where the Lord speaks. Okay? God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's a whole sermon series right there, right? When God speaks, things happen, don't they? God saw in verse 4 that the light was good. And He separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now there's a lot of things I want to talk about this morning. There's a lot of things I want to think about this morning, but the first truth I want you to understand, we're going to kind of build upon this as we go, but here's the first truth I want you to see. We're going to delve into this right there in verse 3. Number one, here's the first truth. God's plan was to create everything using very clear patterns. That's really important for us to understand. God created the earth. God created the universe. God created life as we know it using patterns. What we understand and take from that is that from the beginning, God had a plan. You understand that? It wasn't as if the Lord woke up one day and said, what am I going to do about creation? Not sure. He, He had a plan. He had a design from the beginning. Not only did He have a plan in creation, but it shows in the days of creation. Now, one of the things we're going to do today, and I hope you can bear with me, I'm going to show you a lot of things on the screen. There are just so many things I want you to see, so if you're taking notes, it'll help you. If not, it'll help you connect a little bit better. But there's things I want to show you on the screen that I think are going to help you better understand what we're talking about. Sometimes when we see it for ourselves, it's easier to understand. But here's what we understand in the way that God created the earth and the way He used and divided the days. Bring that slide up for me if you would. We see the first three days of creation, day one, day two, and day three, as God forming something, right? God is forming. We're reminded of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Bible says that the earth was formless and empty. You remember, that's where we left off last week. The Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, is just hovering over the face of the deep. The earth is formless and empty. So God's going to take the first three days and He's going to shape it and He's going to mold it and He's going to form it for one reason. This is important as we move forward. He's going to form it so it can sustain life, right? God says, I'm creating all this. I'm creating the light and and the sky separated from the water. I'm going to create an atmosphere. I'm going to create land and I'm going to produce vegetation for one simple reason, so I can fill it with life. Now look at the second half of creation, day four, five, and six. Now here's an interesting parallel here. God's going to use the first three days to form it. He's going to use the second three days now to fill it. Now we're going to go back and forth, Wanda, between slides one and two just for a second. Okay, so follow with me. Forming and filling. So go back. Day one, God creates the light. Now go to the next slide. Day four, God fills it with the sun, moon, and stars, right? So there's this idea of creating light. And then day four, he produces these light-producing bodies. The sun and the stars and the moon reflects light. So there's light and there's the sun. There's the correspondence, right? Now go back to the first slide. 
day two, the sky, and he separated it from water below. What it really is is like an atmosphere. God's going to create the atmosphere. He's going to make things ready for life. Now, corresponding to that is day five, he creates the birds in the air and the fish in the seas, right? We see this correspondence. He's forming it in the first three days. He's filling it in days four, five, and six. Now, go back, if you would, to day the first slide. Day three, he's creating land and vegetation. He's forming it. Why? Move to the next slide. Day six, so he can fill it, what, with animals and with man. We see this, this, this incredible picture that built even into the fabric of the way in which the Lord created things, there is order, there is design, there's this picture of beautiful symmetry. I started thinking about symmetry this week, and I started thinking about all the, the patterns of creation. And I spent some time downloading a few pictures I want you to see. Now, here's what I want you to notice. We're going we're gonna to run through these quickly. We don't have time to spend a lot of time with them. But we're going to see in each one of these pictures in creation, there are patterns. So we see the patterns in Antelope Canyon, Arizona, the beauty of the way God created. We see patterns in, that's a close-up of a butterfly wing. See the patterns there? We see pattern in the cactus. You see how it starts small and gets bigger? There, there are patterns here. We see pattern in the way the desert sand forms with the wind. We see pattern in dry mud. Isn't that interesting? You can see the patterns in the way they form. We see the pattern of the Nautilus. You hold that slide just for a second if you would. You guys may or may not understand. You should Google this. And again, there's just so much we could say. But there are mathematical sequences built within the Nautilus shell. Math teachers. Come on, math teachers, raise your hand. Amen, yes or no? Fibonacci sequence, right? Ninth grade math coming back right there, baby. Fibonacci sequence, right? You would laugh if you heard Amy and I was, You know, she's a math teacher, and I enjoyed math. So at night, we talk about math, and it's like the, the nerdiest thing in the world. And I laugh at myself sometimes, and I'm thankful my kids don't hear it. But, yeah, the Fibonacci sequence, right? There's pattern. It goes from smaller, and it increases. There, there's pattern. There's design. Go to the next one. We see pattern in the way that a peacock... Fe- excuse me, those are the, that's the plant leaf. I think I left the peacock out. The plant leaf... The way which is formed and the patterns that form there. We see, go to the next one. We see patterns in the way that the hills roll. We see how they're produced there and they're created. See the patterns there? Go to the next one. We see even in, what's the eye right there? Does that, that look familiar? Snake? Some of y'all are covering your eyes. Seriously, it's just a picture. It's okay. If you back up three feet, it'd be scary. But even within the scales of the snake, we see patterns. We see pattern in the spider web. See, look at the symmetry there. Go to the next one. We see pattern in the way the zebra stripes are. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? There, there are patterns in nature. You understand that, right? Now, here's what we draw from that. This is good. This is foundation, and we're building upon this. We draw from that truth. There was design and intent in nature. Amen. Now, I'm going to step on your toes, and I'm, I'm, you're going to have a lot of this today, and especially the next couple of weeks. It didn't happen by accident. Amen. There's design, there's a creator, and so we just see this beautiful picture of the way God created and the patterns that He gave us and the designs that we see all throughout creation. But it's even more interesting as we delve a little farther into this. If you were to take each day of creation, you can read through these, and we're going to work through each one of these verses in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. If you were to take each one of these days, you would notice that each day itself actually follows a pattern. So go to the next slide if you would. Please. I'm going to divide into kind of two different sections. Every day of creation follows a pattern. Follow with me, right? There's the announcement God said. Then there's the command where He commands, let there be, in verse 3, we see light. And then the action, it was so. 
So in every day of creation, we see this very interesting pattern. God speaks it, He commands it, and then it happens, right? Now let's take a look. Bring up Genesis 1 verse 3 again if you would for me. We're going to see this pattern in Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, there's the announcement, right? There's the first part of the pattern. Let there be light, there's the command, and then there's the action. It was so, or there was light. You see this in every one of the days. God speaks it, there's the command for it to happen, and then it takes place. How many of us, and here's just a little small little application, how many of us are living our lives as if the words of the Lord actually have meaning? Oh, the Bible's okay. I'll read it every now and then. And, you know, maybe I'll spend some time next week. I've got, you know, I'm trying to read through it, but I hadn't done it in a couple of weeks and I'm already behind and I, you know, I don't ever spend any time. If the Lord says it and commands it, guess what? It's going to happen. We need to live our lives based on this truth. So there's pattern, there's, there's symmetry, there's beauty in creation. But here's the second truth I want you to see is we're kind of ramping up through this. Here's truth number two. Not only is there pattern, but number two, God's glory is demonstrated in His creation of light. Now the first thing He speaks into existence in verse 3 is the idea of light. Now if you're not familiar with light in Scripture, there's this whole background you need to understand of light all through the Bible as representative of life, it's representative of purity and of truth. In fact, what we see oftentimes is the Lord Himself, and in the New Testament more specifically, Christ Himself referred to as light. So John chapter 1, we studied this a few weeks ago. The Bible says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There was a man who came from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. That's the light of Christ. So that through him all men might believe. Verse 8, he was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now here's the question I want to answer. Why would God begin creation with light? I think there's one real clear reason here. He begins creation with light because his glory is revealed throughout the Bible as light. It's like he begins his creation with the demonstration of his glory. You understand that? Not let there be trees, not let there be water, not let there be earth. All those things are coming. He's forming all this up to, to produce this planet that can sustain life. All that's happening. But the first thing he does is the creation of light. Why? Because it points to his glory. I think it's a beautiful picture of who he is. One of the interesting things about the Old Testament is you, is you begin to think about light and our understanding of light. Light on our car, we have light at home, we have lights on our phones now. There's, there's light everywhere. We can produce light. But back in the first century, back in the Old Testament times, they couldn't produce light. The only way they could see light back then was what? You remember? Fire. That's it. And so what you begin to see in your study of the Old Testament is that God demonstrates His glory through fire. It's light. The burning bush, right? God didn't appear to Moses as a bush that was just growing. <laughs> he appeared to Moses as a bush that was on fire and yet was not consumed. It's a picture of His glory. You remember how the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness? The Bible says during the day they were led with a pillar of cloud, smoke of some sort. At night they were led by a pillar of what? Do you remember? Fire. It's a picture of the glory of the Lord. Maybe the greatest indication in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 24, verse 17. 
to the Israelites. The glory of this is when it's settled down on the mountain, right? Moses has gone up and they're from a distance. They're looking at Mount Sinai. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. See that? On the top of the mountain. It's not surprising that the first thing God creates in day one is light. Why? Because it demonstrates His glory. All of life, you need to understand this, is designed to bring God glory. We talked about this a little last week. But everything you do should bring glory to the Lord. One scholar said it like this. Created light represents His glory more nearly than any other aspect of creation. Like Him, it illuminates and makes known all else. So we've seen seen kind of this pattern now developing, even in Genesis 1 as God's creating the light, the pattern of the the announcement and then the the command and then the action, right? And there was light. Now I've got the screen now for the next kind of set of patterns. We're seeing this pattern develop in every portion of Scripture. So every day of Scripture begins with those first three. And then we begin to see a second set of standards. There's the approval. God saw it and He said that it was good. You see this in every day. He named it, he called it something, and then number six, or the last thing, he assigns it a number. There was evening and there was morning the first day. We see this pattern. Keep that up just for a second. I'm going to read you Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. See if you can follow with me down the pattern here. Verse 4. God saw that the light was good, right? There's the approval. And he separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5. God called the light day, right? So he's naming it. And he called the darkness night, and then the second part of verse 5, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day, right? So every day of creation follows this pattern. It demonstrates his power, it demonstrates his creativity, it demonstrates his plan, it demonstrates his purpose, it demonstrates his glory. Now I want to talk through, sometime in the future, hopefully next week, the idea of approval and naming. Those are four and five are very important. And they they have a lot of importance as we understand this text and we understand this scripture. But the thing I want to focus on for the next little while is number six, day number. Evening and morning were the first day. Now here's the third truth. So God's demonstrated his pattern and his his glory and light. And we see all that he's done, all he's created. Here's truth number three. God's timing now is seen in the days of creation. So not only are we seeing his plan, but there's pattern and design. Not only have we seen His glory by first creating light, now we're seeing that there's a timing, there's a sense of timing in everything that He's done. Now follow with me. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to notice. If not, we don't have this one on the screen. But each day of creation, Moses ends with a very interesting little phrase. At the end of every day, he says there was evening and there was morning the first day. That's verse 5. Verse 8 of Genesis 1, there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 13, there was evening and there was morning the third day. Right? We see this pattern. Every single day ends with that phrase. And I want to think about that phrase just for a couple minutes because I think there's something really important we need to understand. It helps us understand, now stay with me here, it helps us understand how much time God took in creation. Now I want to camp out here for a little while because this is, a, this is kind of a hotly debated portion of Scripture. The question that so many people come to as they kind of think through this, as they arrive at this conclusion, they arrive at this question, is this. How long, based on the teaching of Scripture, how long did it take God to create the world? That's the question a lot of people ask. 
And you may or may not know this, but that's a hotly debated topic, both in the church and out. In fact, if you spend any time online researching or studying, you realize that there are all sorts of camps that believe all sorts of different things. But people know, how long did it take God to create the world? That question leads to other questions like this. How old is the earth? It's a good question. What about evolution? We have all these questions we begin to ask about the age of the earth and how God created it. What about all the stuff we hear about evolution? Now, I want to say this before I kind of delve in and understand this. My intent in this particular part of this scripture, in this particular part of the sermon, is to examine what the Bible says. Now we're going to talk about science and reason. We'll get to that here later. Not today, but later. I want to examine today the truth of the Word of God because that's what I'm good at. That's what I understand. And so I want to make a comment to you before I move forward. Science is good and exciting and I enjoy science. Reason, philosophy, all those things are good and exciting and are useful and helpful and I enjoy all those things. But here's the truth. We always have to view science through the lens of Scripture. Now follow with me. We cannot view Scripture through the lens of science. If we view Scripture through the lens of science, we're saying that science holds sway over Scripture, don't we? What we end up saying is, well, science says this, so the Bible must mean this. We should do it the other way around. We should always examine Scripture through the lens. Excuse me, we should always examine... I almost said that wrong. I called myself. We should always examine science through the lens of Scripture. So biblically then, what does Moses mean by evening and morning the first day? Now the Hebrew word for day is yom, Y-O-M. You may have heard the phrase in the Hebrew yom kippur, right? Or in the South, Yom Kippur, right? We've heard that before. <laughs> so Yom means day. Kippur means atonement. So Yom Kippur is, is this day of atonement. You see it all through Scripture. Now I've got a slide for you to kind of help you understand this. The word Yom in Hebrew has a range of meanings. Most words do. Right? Most words have a range. They can mean several different things. It can mean a period of light in a day-night cycle. That's one of the meanings of the word Yom. It can mean a period of 24 hours. It can mean a general or vague concept of time, right? So there's this range of meanings. The question is, how do we know which one of these is correct in Genesis 1, right? If we're going to interpret this and understand this and try to figure out what the Lord means, which one of these is true? Well, the way we determine the meaning of any word is the same way we do it in English, the same way we do it in any other language. It's by context, right? If we read it in a sentence or a paragraph or a story, the way that we understand the meaning of a word is context. If you pull that word out of context, it can have a range of meanings. Usually within context, it has one specific meaning. Now there are certainly cases in the Scripture when the word day means many, many years. I want to give you a couple of those examples. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 9. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days gone by, as in generations of old. There's the word days, the yom, it's plural, but there's a, a very clear meaning by the context of Isaiah 51 9 that we're talking about a long period of time, the days gone by, right? That's eons of time. It could be a general or a vague concept of time. That's the meaning in Isaiah 51 9. Psalm chapter 44, verse 1, the same sort of idea. 
We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. There's a sense again. There's a sense again, excuse me, that days in this context means many, many years. But we're not studying Isaiah this morning. We're not studying the book of Psalms. We're studying Genesis 1. So what does Moses mean when he says there was evening and there was morning the first day? Now, one of the rules of biblical interpretation is kind of a simple reading, right? We've got this on the screen for you. The clearest, the most straightforward reading of Genesis 1 would help us understand that if we read it just kind of simply, without trying to add a whole lot to it, it would appear that it means a literal 24-hour day. When we read this text, the, the kind of the simple reading, this is a, a very standard practice in, in hermeneutics or interpreting Scripture. What's the simplest meaning? It's very easy for us to assign difficulty to it and add things and confusion, but usually it's not always the case. But we usually start with the simplest meaning. So what is the simple meaning of the text in Genesis 1? We just take it for what it says. We would see that it's a 24-hour day, right? But that's, that's not nearly enough. We can't just say, well, the, you know, the straightforward, simple answer is it was a literal 24-hour day. That's, enough, that's not enough. We need more. We need more context. So we want to use some other things. One of the things we notice in the book of Genesis in the creation account is that the word day or yom is used oftentimes with numbers. We have a screen up for you. So day one, day two, day three. Now listen to what one Hebrew scholar says. When the word day or yom is used with a specific number, it always has reference to a normal day. So if we're going to study, again, we're trying to understand what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about creation? Well, when this Hebrew word yom is used in other instances through the Old Testament and it's listed with a specific number, it means a normal day. Now we've got some examples for you. I'm going to pull some verses. Exodus chapter 24, verse 16. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for... Here's the example right there. Six, there's a number, days, yom. See that? For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh, there's the word, there's the number and the word day. The Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. As we read this, because of the context of this verse, because of the understanding of the word yom with a number, we can arrive at this conclusion that those are literal days, and every scholar believes that. No scholar argues that Exodus 24.16 is speaking of thousands of years. It's very simply a literal day. Now Genesis chapter 30, verse 36. Then he put a three-day, there's the pattern again, right? Three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. There's a sense here, right, because of the context, because of the word yom used with the number, that this is a literal 24-hour day. No scholar debates that it was actually a three-day journey. No scholar says, well, it really means 3,000 years or maybe an eternity. Nobody says that. We're all under the same understanding that when you use the word yom with a number, it's a literal 24-hour day. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 6. And it shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next. Anything left over until the, there's the pattern, third, there's a number, day, must be burned up. Now the people of Israel read this in the book of Leviticus. They didn't say, well, we've got a couple thousand years before we have to burn it up. They understood it as scholars do and as we do that that third day meant very specifically a literal day. A literal 24-hour day. Now here's something very interesting I want you to watch. I'm Pop quiz from last week. You ready? How many like pop quizzes? 
All right, good. We're going to get one anyway. That's why you like to give them because you don't like them, right? So here we go. First five books of the New Testament are called the what? Nice. Pentateuch, first five. Who wrote the Pentateuch, remember? Right, so the examples I just gave you, Exodus, Genesis, Leviticus, are all found in the what? Pentateuch. Moses wrote all those examples. And so the pattern that... And these are just a few. There are numerous different examples. The pattern that Moses uses every single time is where he gives the word yom and an actual day number. He's referring to a 24-hour day. Why would the pattern be different in Genesis 1? It's a question we have to ask. Now, some of you are thinking science. Just set that aside. We're going to get there. I'm thinking biblically. Let's start here. Why would the pattern change in Genesis 1? One scholar says it like this. When the interpreter sees the word yom, used with a number, occurring several times in succession and in specific context, which is exactly what we get in the first chapter of Genesis, this construction serves to denote a day. So we've already seen now that kind of the simple reading is 24-hour day. If you read it and don't read anything else, it makes sense that it's a 24-hour day. We've seen now the context of the word yom with a number that's very clear. But there's some more clues. That's not enough. Let's continue to mount this case. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The use of the word evening and morning. Now we can say it like this. When the word day is used with the phrase morning and evening, it means a literal day. Now, I've already demonstrated to you the pattern of Genesis chapter 1. Every day ends with this phrase. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And some of you are thinking, wait, why isn't, it, why isn't it morning and then evening? Well, the Jewish calendar is different. The way they understand days is different. It all makes sense when you understand how the Jews understand time in the Old Testament, right? So we see this indication now that when we use the word evening and morning with the word day, it means a literal day. Now, there are all sorts of examples in this, and I've pulled two again from the Pentateuch. I don't have time to read all of them. I'm going to read them quickly. I'm already running out of time, but I'm going to go through these quickly. Numbers 9, 15. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up. The cloud covered it from evening till morning. The cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire, right? There's the sense. There's the word day. There's this pattern of evening and morning. Every scholar and every person living in the Old Testament understood that to mean one day, one literal day. It's real simple. It's not confusing when you begin to look through Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 4. No yeast, let no yeast be found in your possessions and all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning, right? No person living during the time of Deuteronomy would have said, well, seven days, evening, morning, which is the same pattern we see in Genesis. Nobody in Deuteronomy would have said, well, we don't really have to wait and throw it away the next day. It'll be good for a few more weeks. If they did, they were punished. Why? Because it's a literal day. Here's what another scholar says. The two, now, these are Hebrew scholars. These are Hebrew scholars I'm quoting. The two days... Morning and evening are combined with yom 19 different times outside of Genesis 1. Each occurrence is a 24-hour day. Nobody questions it. Nobody debates it. There's no great argument about it. The only place you see the argument is in Genesis 1. That's the only place there's a debate. This pattern exists all through the Pentateuch over and over. There's no debate about any of those other verses. 
The question comes in Genesis chapter 1. Why? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on your toes hard, so be ready for this. Right? The reason there's the debate in Genesis 1 is because we're looking at Scripture through the lens of science. That's the problem. And I'm not saying throw away science. We're going to get there, but I'm saying we begin here with the Word of God. Let's understand it first. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, though. All right, so I get this. So there's this, okay, so yeah, there is this good bit of evidence to show that maybe in Genesis 1, based on the context and, and based on the word yom used with a number and based on the word yom used with the evening, and based on all those things, it, it appears that Moses maybe intended it to be a 24-hour day. Okay, I grant you that. But here's what some of you are thinking. In, in your mind, you're rattling around with this idea. But... Isn't there a verse that says something about to the Lord a day's like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day? Isn't there? Yes, there is. In fact, I want to read it to you. Psalm chapter 90, verse 4. A thousand years in your sight or like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night. There's this sense that to the Lord a thousand days or like a, a thousand uh, years or like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. Now, there's some interesting things about this verse I want you to understand. Here's the most interesting. Ready for this? Anybody want to guess who wrote Psalm chapter 90? Moses. Look it up. Don't look it up now, but look it up later. Check me. By the way, when I preach, you should always fact check because I don't want to say wrong things. Moses wrote Psalm chapter 90. Isn't it interesting that when Moses writes Psalm chapter 90 verse 4, he has a clear understanding of the difference between a day and a thousand years. He's already said it. He understands that there's a difference, right? There's no confusion in your mind. Psalm chapter 90 verse 4 is simply showing us that God is not bound by time. That's what that verse means. There is absolutely no indication that we should apply the logic from Psalm 90 to Genesis chapter 1. None. All Moses is saying is, listen, I understand the difference between a, a year or a thousand years and a day. Moses said, I don't want there to be any confusion, right? I don't want there to be any confusion between what a thousand years and a day is. Now here's the question I want to ask as we think through this. As we think through this text in Genesis chapter 1, why would Moses use the word day if he meant a thousand years? Why? Why would he keep the same pattern that he uses time and time and time again all through the Pentateuch? Why? If Moses wanted us to believe that it took thousands of years, why didn't he say thousands of years? There are all sorts of indications in the Pentateuch where he could have said that days gone by. Days of old where the context would demonstrate to us that this was a long period of time. Why would the Lord use language that confused us? I don't think he does. In fact, if I were going to say to you as clearly as I possibly could that this was a literal day, you know how I'd say it? Well, there was an evening and there was a morning, it was one day. That's, what I, that's how I'd say it. That's exactly how the Lord says it. I think when you begin to examine this, when you think through it biblically, you arrive at a very clear, a very understandable answer. Moses and the Lord intended us to understand these as literal 24-hour days. You say, is there, is there another portion of Scripture that says they were six days, literal days? I mean, because if there is, that's another, that's another point of context. Yeah, there is. In fact, the Ten Commandments. Let me read for you the Fourth Commandment. Stay with me. I know we're running low, but i got a few more things you need to hear, okay? Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. These are the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. By the way, our entire week, including our day of rest, is based on what? Creation account. Nobody says our week should be thousands of years and then we rest for a couple thousand years. Nobody says that, do they? When it comes to the work week, maybe it's a literal day. I'm, day on, I'm off. I'm taking a day of rest. But listen to what the fourth commandment says. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or daughter, any male or female servant, your animals or any foreigner residing in your town. Now check this out, verse 11 of Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and He made it holy. Why would God use the word day if He didn't mean day? Why would there be all this evidence all through the Pentateuch if He didn't mean day? I believe it's because He intended for us to understand it was a literal 24-hour day. I think it's clear biblically. I don't think there's a whole lot of argument. I started this process several months ago. One of the things I always do when I'm going to preach through a large portion of Scripture is I order some additional commentaries. I have a lot of commentaries, but I always want to read more. So I started researching. Who, you, can, you can research. This. There are websites that will tell you this. Who wrote the best commentary in the book of Genesis? Because I don't want to buy just some guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. And here's my logic. I'm going to search five or six sites that I trust on the, on the, on the, online. And I'm going to see if a name pops up more than another. Every single one I went to, Gordon J. Wenham. Gordon J. Wenham. I'd never heard of the guy, right? They said, this guy by far wrote the best commentary in the book of Genesis. I did some research on him. He studied at Cambridge, Harvard, and Jerusalem University. That's pretty impressive, right? He's a Hebrew scholar. He's written by most accounts the best commentary in the book of Genesis. Listen to what this man says. There can be little doubt here that day has its basic sense of a 24-hour period. The mention here are all of our clues. The mention of morning and evening... The enumeration of the days, the divine rest on the seventh day show that a week of divine activity is being described here. I've got it there on the screen for you. I didn't just want to listen to him. I did some more research. I found Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Seminary. Al Mohler is a very well-known evangelical. You may have seen Al Mohler on CNN. Anytime some big event happens that's related to Christianity, they get Mohler on. Right? And they want to ask him what he thinks. Here's what Al Mohler said. I've got it on the screen for you. If you can read it, it's a little small. He's the president of Southern Seminary. One of the greatest evangelicals of our time. The straightforward and direct reading of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 describes seven 24-hour days. Six days of creative activity and a final day of divine rest. It's clearly a sequential pattern of creation. This view, while not absolutely unanimous or without controversy, was the untroubled consensus and traditional view of the Christian church until the early 19th century. You can figure out what happened in the early 19th century. We'll talk about it later. This is the most straightforward reading of the text. The pattern of evening and morning, the literary structure, the testimony of the rest of Scripture all point to 24-hour days when studied in a common sense fashion. I'm winding down, so bear with me. Give me just a couple more minutes. I'm arguing that the Bible teaches days of creation as six literal 24-hour days. Now, let's, let's take this one step farther. Let's assume for the next couple of minutes that they don't mean 24-hour days. Let's assume that we've interpreted them wrong, and so the word day in that particular context, aside from all the biblical evidence, doesn't really mean a 24-hour day. Now, follow with me here. There's some implications we need to consider. What other portions of the Bible do we now need to reinterpret?
So think with me just for a second. What about Noah's flood? 40 days, 40 nights. Well, if a day doesn't really mean a day, maybe it didn't really happen. How about Jonah in the belly of the fish? How long was he really in the belly of the fish? All these illustrations and all these examples leading up probably to the biggest one. How about this? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. How long was he in the grave before he rose again? Tell me. Three days. What if a day doesn't mean a day? Well, it means a few thousand years. So you know what? Let's think through this. Maybe he didn't really rise, Adam. Maybe we should be looking for his tomb now because he's still dead because the day doesn't really mean a day. It means a few... So in a few thousand years, he's going to rise again. And so we begin to interpret Scripture based on that. Imagine what that would do. The foundational understanding of our faith. See, I think the Lord has given us this clearly. I think the Lord has demonstrated this to us clearly. Now, I know where some of you are going. I told you one of the things I wanted to do in this whole process was to answer the questions that you're asking. Here's where some of you are going. You're putting two and two together. You're starting to think things like this. If the Bible teaches that the earth was created in six literal days, here's where you're going with it. What about all the scientific evidence that says the earth is millions of years old? What, what about all this scientific... Students, listen to this. What about all this scientific proof about evolution, right? That's where you're going. If the Bible teaches this, and it seems like the world says this, what do we do? Well, the first thing we're going to do is relax. Let's just cool out for a second, okay? A couple of things you need to know. Number one, evolution is a theory. Nobody, nobody claims it to be fact. Nobody knows what they're talking about. It's theory. We're going to talk through all that. But secondly, I believe there is incredible evidence in the world that points to God's plan in creation. I think it points to His design. And we're going to go into great detail about that next week. There's your cliffhanger right there. You better be back, right? So we've seen God's plan, we've seen His glory, we've seen His timing. I'm going to end with this scripture. I know I've said I'm going to end. That's what a good pastor does, right? He ends five or six times. I'm winding down. I mean it this time, right? <laughs> Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the, listen, for since the creation of the, of the world, excuse me, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, watch, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. Now here's the application for you. You ready? So that men are without excuse. You have no excuse to not believe this word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear teaching you've given us, Father. Thank you for all the examples. And I, I, Father, I, I know in your, in your providence you knew there was going to be questions, Father. Father, help us for, thank you for helping us see this and understand it. I, I pray it would just kind of rattle around in our brain your design and your power and your glory, Father, and your timing. And I pray that all those things as we understand them more would lead us to worship you because you are the creator of all things, the author of salvation, the sustainer of life, and we love you with our lives. Lord, I pray you've been honored and glorified by the things I have said, and I pray that you would just cause us to grow in our faith because of this truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can stand. We always want to finish with invitation, even though we're running a little behind this morning. I'm going to give you the chance to pray if you want to come and pray. I want to give you the chance to repent of your sins and accept Christ or join this church. But this is your time to respond now as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.